Hi, this is Christian Kuhn of Urban Village Church in Chicago. Welcome to my sermon podcast as we get closer and closer to the Christmas season uh, here in the church. And so this will be the uh, fourth Sunday of Advent. I'll be preaching this sermon as we finish up our sermon series uh, here at Urban Village called Unexpected Gifts. And I'll talk more about that in a moment. But first, let me read the passage that we'll be focusing on today. This comes from the Gospel of Luke. And I'm going to read verses 39 through 55. In those days, Mary set out and went with haste to a Judean town in the hill country, where she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the child leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit and exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why has this happened to me, that the mother of my Lord comes to me? For as soon as I heard the sound of your greeting, the child in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her by the Lord. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked with favor on the lowliness of his servant. Surely from now on all generations will call me blessed. For the Mighty One has done great things for me, and holy is his name. His mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the powerful from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. According to the promise he made to our ancestors, to Abraham and to his descendants forever. May God's blessing be on the hearing and living out of this word. So as I just noted a moment ago, we are, uh, as I record this, two days away from Christmas, which is certainly a time for families to get together and have food and open presents and share stories. And I would imagine that some of them too will be uh, getting involved with other things, times of community, including playing board games. Some may be getting board games for Christmas. And it seems like when it comes to board games, generally speaking, people are either really enjoying board games or those who just kind of, nah, they could give it uh, or take playing a game like that. It seems like those who are pro board games, there is then another subset of that population who really loves to play board games and probably would confess that, yes, they are just a little bit competitive. In my family, my extended family, for several years, many a few years ago, this is probably know, 15, 20 years ago or so, uh, every year we would gather at my grandparents' house for Christmas, and at the end of the night, <clears throat> we would play a very simple card game called Pig. And so, insert your joke about Iowans here. Uh, the simple game is the people would sit down in a big circle, probably a bit like spoons, people who played spoons before. And everybody will be holding four cards, and you would, you're, the goal is to get four of a kind. And once you get four of a kind, you put your finger to your nose, the outside of your nose, and then the, everybody else sees, once somebody puts their finger to the nose, everybody else follows suit. And the last one has to get a P. And then, of course, once you get P-I-G, then you're out of the game, and you keep going until the last one is... Uh, I was going to say last one standing or last one sitting in this case. And it never failed that you would gather all these people. Sometimes we'd have 20, 25 people playing. And we'd all gather and there'd be laughter and uh, joy. And uh, But then as the game went along more and more, you could just sense that it was getting pretty competitive. There'd be some arguments about who actually was the last one to put their finger to the nose. And 
uh, heart rates would start uh, elevating a little bit. And we look back on it now with, I think, fond memories. But in the moment, it was so interesting to see what happened when it went from community and joy to intensity until there was just one person, the winner of it all. So as I noted, we are ending our sermon series today called Unexpected Gifts as we talk about what does it mean to be a community that lives into transforming values. So some of you may know at Urban Village, about a year and a half ago, we went through a pretty intensive anti-racism audit that was uh, conducted by an outside organization called Crossroads. Now, when we talk about anti-racism, sometimes people don't quite know what that means. And to be anti-racist has multi-layered meanings, but I've found it helpful to talk about it in terms of lenses. So most of the time in our country, society elevates or normalizes the way white people view the world. And often, more specifically, someone like me, white, straight, educated, cisgender male, how I view the world. So the spoken and unspoken rules are that everyone should see the world this way too. Sometimes this is called having white institutional values, both as individuals and as organizations. So here's a simple, maybe silly example. A few years ago, the uh, news uh, anchor uh, personality, Megyn Kelly, they were having this debate about Santa Claus. And she said uh, infamously, and by the way, for all you kids watching at home, Santa just is white. And she couldn't uh, take into consideration that Santa could be anything other than white. And then I had heard of this, but I didn't know as I was looking into it this week, she went on to say, Jesus was a white man too. He was a historical figure. That's a verifiable fact, as is Santa. I just want the kids watching to know that. This is an example of someone who sees the world through a white lens and then expects everybody else to see the world that way too. Now, we might, again, this might be kind of a silly example, but it happens certainly in other places too, in institutions where we see the world as white people and we assume everybody else sees the world that way too, whether consciously or unconsciously. So we've been working with Crossroads to what can we do to essentially take away those lenses or rather to acknowledge that this is one lens, it is not the lens. There are many other lenses that we need to take a look at and see through. So we have been working with Crossroads and comparing as it instructs and does some teaching when we talk about white institutional values and then compare and contrast that with what they call transforming values. And we believe here at Urban Village that these transforming values are also gospel values. And this is the focus of our sermon series. So we talked a few weeks ago about either or thinking versus both and thinking, scarcity versus abundance, secrecy versus transparency. That was last week. And then today or this weekend, we are looking at individual action versus collaboration, cooperation, community. So working individually means that there's an emphasis on isolation and you set people up to compete with one another. So the focus is on competing for resources, competing for what the mission is, competing for relationships, as opposed to maintaining a spirit of cooperation, collaboration. So this allows groups and institutions to look and stand in the midst of diversity with integrity and respect. Individual creativity happens in the parameters of relationships that are accountable and responsible with the rest of the community. So it's not just one person going it alone and that one person then also expecting that everybody else needs to get on board with how that individual believes. 
So we see community and cooperation. This is the transforming value that we want to be a part of. We see that in our scripture today. So let's take a look at Mary. But before that, let's back up just a little bit in this scripture today. You may know the story. Uh, before what we read today in verse 26, this is the story of the angel Gabriel visiting Mary and explains what's going to happen. Verse 31, and now you will conceive in your womb and bear a son and you will name him Jesus. So the angel begins to talk about what will happen, but also emphasizing that Mary will not be alone. In verse 36, there's news. Mary's relative, Elizabeth, also has experienced a miracle. In her old age, she has conceived. So then Mary says in verse 38, Here am I, the servant of the Lord. Let it be with me according to your word. Then the angel departed from her. Then the angel departed from her. There's always, whenever we see punctuation in the scriptures and wondering what happens in that gap between a period and the beginning of the next sentence or the next verse, and this is one of those gaps. What happens? Verse 38, then the angel departed. And then picking up from where we uh, read today, verse 39, what's going through Mary's mind? So in verse 39, in those days, Mary set out, went with haste, to a Judean town where she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. That's what Mary did. So on the one hand, she says, here am I. But then she knows, as the angel told her, you are not alone in this. Your relative Elizabeth is going through the same thing. Mary knows she needs to collaborate with somebody, that she cannot do this on her own. And so she goes to be with Elizabeth during this time. But it's not just, here's not the only example of collaboration and cooperation in this passage. She does an interesting thing. After she is there with Elizabeth and we have this interaction between the two of them, Mary hopefully, and both Elizabeth and Mary know that they're not alone. And then Mary sings a song. It's almost like a musical. Perhaps we can imagine a musical. Mary sings, breaks out into song, and she begins to sing. An interesting thing happens uh, and first, she talks about being in cooperation, being in companionship with others. She does this in various ways. So first of all, she calls on her past, and she knows that she's not alone. Verses 40, 54 and 55, God has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, according to the promise God made to our ancestors, to Abraham and to his descendants forever. She notes that she comes from ancestors. She comes from promises that God made to these ancestors. This is one of the reasons we made the ofrendas in our worship a few weeks ago, to, to remind ourselves that we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. And so Mary sings of this. Mary also speaks to her present and her interconnectedness with the marginalized. When she says, God has brought down the powerful from their thrones, lifted up the lonely, lowly, filled the hungry with good things. So she's naming that she's also connected to those who are marginalized in our society. As Dr. Martin Luther King noted, that injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. We are caught in an inescapable network of mutuality tied in a single garment of destiny. Mary seems to be speaking about this, that she's not alone, both her ancestors and in the present as she is in solidarity with others. But then she also speaks to her connectedness to future generations too. When she says, surely from now on, 
all generations will call me blessed. She knows it is not just her ancestors. She knows it's not just her contemporaries, but she also knows in the future that she will be connected to future generations to whom God will make promises. There is all kinds of connectedness that's going on here. This is not just Mary all by herself. White institution of values tries to separate us, tries to make it very individualized, tries to breed competition. And we see this in lots of different ways in our society. Certainly in, our, in recent weeks, we've seen this with our government, with the separation of immigrant children from their families, separating them, trying to create competition between these families and also people who are seemingly in power in our country. But this is not an aberration in our country. Certainly slave owners and trades traders would take children from their families in the early history of our country, one historian estimated that approximately one-third of enslaved children in the upper south states of Maryland and Virginia experienced family separation. And then the government, our government, between 1870 and in the 1970s, they would separate Native American children from families. They would take these children from across the country and separate them from the families. They'd be sent to, quote, Indian schools, unquote. And at these schools, children were required to assimilate, stripped of their language and culture, often physically, sometimes sexually abused. So we see here what white institutional values can do. Breeds individualism, separates, tries to separate as much as possible rather than keep connected, rather than collaboration. Friends, we have to step up against these forces that try to separate us, that try to individualize, that try to force us to compete for resources. We do that by living into cooperation instead of competition, by remembering that we are not alone, that what I do has an effect on what this other person does that we are a part of that inescapable network of mutuality tied in a single garment of destiny. I want to share a story that I debated about talking about. I'll put a link to this on the Podbean page too. And uh, not because this story is insensitive or controversial, just the opposite, actually. You know, I'm a sports fan, but I hesitate to use uh, stories about sports because I know not everyone is a sports fan. Uh, and sometimes the comparisons can be just a little bit too much on the nose. And I also hesitate to use stories or videos that uh, can too obviously tug on heartstrings. And it's kind of low-hanging fruit for a preacher. But it's December 23rd, and in these days of living in a society where white institutional values are at the forefront, I'm going to, in this moment, share this story and show the video, because maybe we all need a tug-on-the-heartstrings kind of moment. I want to talk about Sarah Tikolsky. So 10 years ago, Sarah Tikolsky played softball uh, for Western Oregon or Central Oregon University. And she was playing a game, one of the last college games she would ever play. She was playing a game against Central Washington University, and she was in a slump. She'd had only three hits in her last 34 at-bats. She was frustrated. And then she came up to the plate, and there were two runners on base. This is the second inning. The winner of this game would decide who would go on into the playoffs, and the loser of this game would go home. So Sarah took a pitch, and then with one swing of the bat, 
she hit a three-run home run, the very first home run she had ever hit in her life. So the crowd, it was a small crowd, but the crowd started cheering. The Western Oregon fans were excited, and then Sarah started running to first base. Now, she was understandably excited. She had never hit a ball far enough where you just had to jog around the bases. And so as she rounded first base, she missed. She didn't hit the bag with her foot. She missed it. And so she realized, oh, I need to touch all the bags. So she stopped, planted her foot, and then went back to touch first base. But when she planted her leg, she hurt her knee so badly, she tore her ACL, anterior cruciate ligament. And so she crumpled to the ground. And so she's lying there in the ground, her face in the dust of the field. And then people are just kind of stopped and not sure what to do because she can't get up and go around the bases. And then the first base coach, her first base coach kind of told everybody, you can't go on the field because if you go on the field and help her at all, she will be ruled out. So now she's lying there on the ground and everybody, she can't get up and run around the bases. And so everybody's wondering, well, what are we going to do? The umpires said, well, they could have a substitute from the bench come in. But according to the rules, if they did that, she would only get a single. She would not get a home run. So as they're standing there, she can't get up and run around the bases herself. No one from her team can help her. So what is she going to do? Well, then the first baseman, Central Washington first baseman Mallory Holtman turned and asked a powerful question. She turned to the umpire and said, can I help her? And the umpire, I think, was a little bit taken aback. And then a member of the opposing team called on the shortstop. Again, these are members of the opposing team. And they they lifted her up and they carried her around the bases, slowing down so that she could gingerly touch each base And she made it home with her home run and the umpires. And that made the call. This was something that was kind of unheard of. They made the call that said, this is all legal. And she got her home run. And Western Oregon went on to win the game. Now, on the one hand, you would think that this is just a wonderful act of sportsmanship. But the thing went viral. A mom in the stands started shooting the video and everybody then started talking about it. So much so that at the end of the year... Sarah and Mallory and the shortstop all won what are called ESPYs. You probably have heard of ESPN. Every year they have a big awards show, including they give out different awards, and they got an award for what was called Best Moment. And they won an award for this act of sportsmanship. And everybody around the country talked about it. Now, 10 years later, someone did a story on Sarah, and she reflected on the responses that people gave to her. And she realized that this was not just an individual moment. This was not just a feel-good moment at the time with a few people. It went beyond anything she could imagine. She said some of college-age women would find it inspiring. And she admitted that college-age men would jokingly say, well, they shouldn't have done that. They should have just let you on the ground. And that doesn't speak well for those people who said that. But then she also said who got really emotional were dads. Dads were the ones who got super emotional because they were hoping that their daughters would be able to have a moment like this. So this is a kind of a cheesy story. I realize that. 
But as I was watching the video this week and as I thought about it, every time I watched, I got a little choked up. And sometimes these moments are there for us. Sometimes these moments are there for us as reminders. Because there are moments when our society wants competition. They want to leave people in the dust like that. They want to do all they can to make sure that this person is out to stop them from scoring at all. But living into transformational values, collaboration, cooperation, means that we join together, sometimes surprisingly so, to make sure that everybody can take part, that everybody can flourish, that everybody can have a role in this society. We are connected beyond ourselves so much more than we realize, friends. This is what Mary knew. It wasn't just community with Elizabeth. She knew that she was connected to so many others by what she was doing. And we are the same way. Our own individual acts have reverberations. How we see the world has reverberations. Our church Whatever organization you're a part of, it is more than just your church and your organization. It goes beyond anything you can imagine. We need to take note of this, to remind ourselves that we are surrounded by so many other angels in our midst and those who are calling us to acts of love and kindness and justice so that we can on our own say, here I am, let it be with me according to the Lord and then go out into the world recognizing that we are connected, recognizing that we are not in this by ourselves, recognizing that we are not competing against anyone for resources, for acclaim, for anything else. Instead, we are tied together, whether it be around a big table playing a board game, whether we are fighting for justice to make sure that children are not separated from their families, whether we are making sure even when we are on opposite sides that we can pick another up to make sure that they also have their moment. These are the moments that help us to live into these transformational values. These are the moments that live into what the meaning, I think, of this, one of the meanings of this season can be for us too. It's more than just Mary saying yes. It is Mary saying yes, and that yes affecting so many others. So may we also, as Mary did, say, here I am. How can I connect? How can I cooperate? How can I be in community with so many others in my own life and in this world as well? Amen. Well, friends, thank you for listening to this podcast. I think I'm going to be recording actually another podcast tomorrow, a Christmas Eve podcast. So you can, if you haven't already seen it, you can go and listen to that. And then after that, I'll be off for a week and we'll be back for January 6th sermon. So uh, until then, if this is the only time that I'm speaking to you, I do hope that you have a blessed Christmas season, a time when you are getting a sense of God's close presence in your life. And may the peace of Christ be with you.